Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We invite you to join us as we discuss how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to try something new, reignite wonder, and reimagine education. If you are in the Bay Area, we are currently accepting applications for students for the fall of 2023. Yes, we have limited spots available and also for our elementary and middle school starting at TK through seventh grade for fall of 2024. Up Academy has created our framework so that new and existing schools can develop imaginative, exciting, relevant, engaging learning environments for all of their students. We're excited to introduce the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. It's a fully integrated literacy and project-based learning curriculum that supports social-emotional development and is based on skills and competencies. Learn more at projectup.us. Have you ever thought of opening your own school? Project Up is also supporting new educators and families to create schools like Up Academy and schools of your own design. Reach out to join our affiliate network at projectup.us. Now, let's get to today's episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Lizette Vallez. She's the founder of El Mercito Academy, a Los Angeles-based microschool with a focus on project place-based learning. Her mission is to nurture students who think critically, develop a growth mindset, and demonstrate profound empathy. She's dedicated to reimagining education and implementing trauma-informed approaches in out-of-system school models, such as the fast-growing small school movement. For over 16 years, her career in education has included teaching middle and high school English, serving as a K-12 librarian, publishing, oh, Lizette, you might have to help me with this one. (laughs) <laughs> My Spanish is terrible. No worries. La tierra de los calcetines perdidos. Yes, what Lizette said, a bilingual children's picture book. And launching Compass Educators, a holistic educational services company, and homeschooling students during the pandemic before founding El Mercito Academy in 2021. So welcome, Lizette. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. You've done so many different things over the course of your career. I'd love to hear... You know, a little bit about your backstory and your journey and how you got into education in the first place. Sure. So I am a bit unusual in that I think I have been a teacher my whole life, really. Uh, when I was five years old, I dressed up as a teacher for career day and I saw Marilyn Monroe on TV and she had this cool like feather boa going and I had my teacher outfit and then I grabbed the boa and my mom was like, oh, I'm pretty sure teachers don't wear that. Like, oh, well, I do. So that's how my journey kind of began. And from there, I had amazingly caring teachers that nurtured that love of learning. My mom, being a single mom, she was always kind of, I think, maybe scared that I would go down the wrong path. And so she bought me summer workbooks and she was on top of my education. And really, I owe a lot to her for becoming an educator as well. So you were a rebel educator from the very beginning, donning a boa with your teacher outfit when you were five. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So how has your, I guess, love of education or your areas of interest evolved over time? Yeah, so I started off as a 
English major and many, many years were spent focused on reading and and writing and all of the traditional things that an English major would do. And then slowly but surely, I moved into, um, well, I became a parent. That's what happened. (laughs) We fostered and adopted uh, our oldest son. He's now nine. And because of him, I kind of started seeing education in a whole new light. And I should backtrack and kind of give a little bit of context to that. So I worked as a high school librarian for quite some time. I taught English at the high school level, as you said earlier, and I also taught middle school and Spanish. Lots of different things happening. However, once I became a mom, I realized that things needed to change. And I think that was kind of when Compass Educators came into my mind, um, the concept for a holistic educational services company, also fostering now again for the second time. There's a lot of trauma-informed practices and approaches that I've taken from that experience and applied it to teaching. So it's evolved quite a bit. Absolutely. I'm curious. I don't have the dates of when your book was published. Was this something that you wrote once becoming a parent or was this from an educational point of view? Yeah. So it was actually about five years before we began fostering our oldest son. and. That came about really from a season of grief in my life. We had a dog and we just absolutely loved her and she ended up passing away. And that is where the book came from. So the way that I deal with grief is I actually go into a really creative state of mind. And that's what I dedicated myself to for a year. So I wrote this bilingual children's book and it's unique in that it's a flip book. The front part is in English. You flip it, then it's in Spanish. It was a really enjoyable endeavor to take on. I was doing author visits and book fairs, book festivals. So it was definitely before my mom days. Nevertheless, it was really cool to see my son read it for the first time. Yeah. So you moved from middle school and high school English. You wrote a book. As your son was going through school, you started to see more of the problems in education. What problem or what problems were you hoping to solve by founding Compass Educators? Initially, it was my son. And then I also realized that the students that I was teaching were not doing well with distance learning. And I actually took a step back from that role. I ended up tutoring about 70 students during the start of the pandemic. And it was, needless to say, a daunting task. And my husband uh, ended up joining me to tutor all of these students who were having difficulty with distance learning. Um, There was a lot of depression at that point happening. There was all sorts of anxieties. There was a lot going on with our students. So we set out to help them the best that we could. And even then, it didn't seem like it was quite enough. And the English department at the high school where I was working suggested that I just start my own tutoring company to maybe help solve this problem a little bit better. So I did. I started our Compass Educators, and then it 
moved into this full on educational services company as parents were reaching out to us to privately homeschool their kids. So then we needed to bring on other educators to help with that. And eventually, El Mercito Academy was birthed just organically from that. How did you work with your students in addressing some of the anxiety and depression issues that they were having? It's something that we see ongoing, definitely, with students and, frankly, with all of us coming out of the pandemic. You had so many students that you were working with. Were there specific things that you did socially or programs that you used? Or how did you address that? Yeah. So at that point, I mean, the whole world was in chaos, right? We were all just trying to do our very best. And I'm someone that has dealt with anxiety for over a decade, panic attacks and so much more. So kind of learning how to manage that really helped me be a resource for my students. So I'm not a therapist, of course, but I was able to point them to services. I was able to point them in in the right direction. And then knowing the foster care system well, I knew exactly kind of where to direct them, even though they were not themselves in the system. So that was really helpful. And then on my part, I decided that I really wanted to incorporate a holistic approach. So it wouldn't just be tutoring. For example, if there was a, a student and they were really nervous about writing a paper. Maybe the paper was due in a couple of days or like the next day we would be breathing together. So incorporating breathing techniques and just in conversation. So a lot of connecting during that time and still to this day, prioritizing empathy and connection over just getting the work done, which I don't believe is conducive to sound mental health anyway. <laughs> So how does that play out in El Mercido now? Tell us a little bit about your educational methods, your overview, your philosophy, and what it's grown into. Yeah. Well, El Mercido Academy is definitely a safe place for kids. We say that it's safe, brave space because we want everyone to know that they're heard, known, understood, and cared for. And that is literally one of the biggest priorities, if not the biggest priority over any type of standardized testing or anything of that sort. It's making sure that our students know that they have a place always that is safe for them. So when they come into El Mercito, they're immediately greeted by a really relaxing, sensory-friendly space. I make sure that we have chair bands and Anything having to do with sensory processing is really important because there's so much of what I have gone through. For example, like there was a time in my life where I would be really overwhelmed at Target. I love Target, <laughs> but there was just so many things going on or forget about Costco or, you know, just so much overwhelm. And I realized that a lot of our students were going through the very same thing. However, they couldn't verbalize that sensory overload. So we always have some sort of nature ambiance going on. And that's an interesting point because we're literally in a race car warehouse. That's where our school is. So it's not like we have a truly natural ambiance 
So that's something that I've been very intentional about creating. And the hope is that we will move into more of a natural healing space. But for what it is, it's beautiful and it's working even though it's not a truly natural setting. But yeah, we make sure that students are able to express themselves. So talking about emotions, doing all of the deep breathing exercises, incorporating yoga, having a growth mindset, you know, talking about what that means versus a fixed mindset. So there's a lot happening throughout our days spent together that is geared towards making sure that their um, social, emotional, and mental health is taken care of as best as possible. And you're a micro school. The term micro school has been used a lot since the pandemic and talking about pods and talking about micro schools and small schools and homeschools and unschools and all of the different variations. So can you share your definition of micro schooling and what that looks like for you? Yeah. So micro school is an umbrella term for small school settings, co-ops, hybrid schools, any configuration of school, usually that's outside of the conventional school system. And for El Mercito Academy, we are a micro school in the sense that we're a learning community that gathers together. Uh, We have three instructional days. One day is set aside for field trips and nature days. And then Fridays are family Fridays. So we're all homeschooling families that have come together. However, it's not a co-op because other parents are not taking part in teaching. So it's just my husband and myself that are teaching. It falls under a hybrid model. Yeah. So that's what El Mercito Academy's kind of framework is. How do you think micro schools or how will micro schools like El Mercito contribute to the continuing evolution of education? in the US? I love this question so much. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, micro schools like El Mercito are contributing to the evolution of education, to the elevation of education, especially by us being open-minded and working with our students to be open-minded. So these are now individuals that are honing their critical thinking skills, They are demonstrating profound empathy. They have a growth mindset. We have K through eighth grade, but we can serve K through 12. And so thinking about students that will be going into high school, if they decide to not be with Almercito, maybe go somewhere else, let's say they go to a public school, they will be able to express so much emotion and express themselves in such a way that will bring so much depth to their classroom conversations because that's what they're doing at our school. That's exactly what's happening. So they're contributing in so many ways already by realizing that learning can happen anywhere and everywhere. We're place-based, so we're out in the community all the time. And really education is a state of mind. It's not just one fixed location, nor is it limited by age, but it's really what that student puts forth. So a lot of ownership and agency of their learning is happening. I love that education is a state of mind. 
and that knowledge that we learn everywhere all the time from all the people that are around us and the places that we're in and the things that we're doing and that all of those things are valuable and important. Absolutely. Or working with the Mastery Transcript Consortium and looking at mastery-based learning and really painting a fuller picture, a much more in-depth picture of a student's educational journey. So soft skills are not typically valued in the form of transcripts. They're not measured. And this year we'll be doing that. We'll be looking at communication and empathy and things that are typically just uh, set aside. However, I think that it's important to honor that in students and to continue bringing it to the forefront so they know that it is of worth and that what they're bringing to the table is so incredibly important. So as an educator and an educational leader, what are you looking forward to or what are you excited about that's coming next in your work? As I mentioned, um, the Mastery Transform Consortium, they've been around for a bit. However, I'm new to mastery-based learning. I'm new to being able to put together these transcripts that will then translate into, again, a much richer, profound insight into a student's you know, learning journey. And when they're ready to go on to high school or college, this is going to be an addition that I think colleges and counselors will greatly, greatly appreciate because right now, as I said, it's not being appreciated. It's not being valued. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to seeing so many other educators, really rebel educators that are taking on this beautiful (laughs) task of innovating education. I have met countless inspiring educators that continue to just change the landscape of learning. And so I can't wait to see more good that comes out of this movement. It's not stopping anytime soon. This education revolution is incredibly, incredibly much more than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. And Rebel Educators, for our listeners, we actually spoke with the CEO of Mastery Transcript Consortium. You can go back and listen to episode 74, just showcasing learning without grades. And we talked with Mike Flanagan a lot about how we create assessments and show real learning and growth over time without grades. Yes, I am so excited. And I will go back and listen to that episode. I can't wait to work with them and to just see, you know, how much this can change everything. Well, we might be working together. We're using them to launch our middle school assessment project and process this year as well. (laughs) You'll have to fill me in. Yeah, I think we'll have a lot of fun. In the beginning, we talked a little bit about the depression and anxiety, and you mentioned that the school uses a lot of trauma-informed practices. Can you talk more about what are trauma-informed practices and how you're implementing them into microschools? Trauma-informed approaches in education, there hasn't been a ton of discussion concerning this. I think uh, a lot of times when there's a student who, you know, is quote-unquote acting out or maybe they're like, quote-unquote, the trouble kid, that isn't really the case. And we know that all behavior is a form of communication of an unmet psychological need. 
So it's not that it may be, it truly is the key in pinpointing what that student is communicating. But it's up to us as adults to decode that type of behavior. So it could be that they're looking for affirmation, acknowledgement, autonomy. There's so many things that they could be looking for. And having a simple discussion is really the starting point, like finding out and being curious as opposed to kicking them out of the class. And that's really what ends up happening most of the time with students who maybe are not able to sit still, are not able to, quote unquote, be quiet. They're not able to fit into societal norms. I have a tendency to lean towards the foster system as a foster mom. So a lot of the kids who are in the system are displaying lots of trauma-based behaviors and they're not being understood. And so I think that's a really large area that needs to be addressed. So trauma-informed practices at, at our school look like reparative approaches talking with students, connecting with them. The foundation really needs to be that they're safe before any type of correction happens. Connection needs to take place and letting them know your behavior does not determine the quality of person that you are. You have value. You have intrinsic value. And I always kind of, listeners won't be able to see my hands, but you know, I kind of hold my hands out and say, I care about you. Your behavior, I don't agree with all the time. Your behavior is what we need to kind of work on. And so they are able to distinguish their behavior from themselves. And it's not a personal attack. It's more of a coaching and a place that I'm coming from in love. Yeah, that you are not your behavior. I see you as a person and I would like to see you making better choices. Exactly. Not you're going to get kicked out. And typically it would be you're going to the principal's office or something like that, right? Like you're out. And then that student generally has that same type of behavior in the next class, in the next class, and they get a, a bad rep. So how can we go about fixing that by understanding really what trauma is and how that affects the brain? Yeah. And I love what you said about connection before correction. How can we have those curious conversations and figure out what's really happening and connect before we try and change? Absolutely. And I've undergone pretty extensive training now. And one of the phrases that has stayed with me is what's hysterical is historical. So I think that applies to all of us. You know, if we're kind of triggered by something, that's because it has historical roots. So kind of tracing that back. And so doing the work of being a trauma-informed educator naturally brings up so many emotions and it could be a pretty incredible thing to take on. However, it's so well worth it because then you understand human behavior so much more and you understand your kids so much more, um, both as an educator and as a parent. There's a question that I love to ask all of my guests. And this is because I run an elementary school, but I'd love to hear if you can share a story of a thing or a time that you remember from your elementary school years. Definitely. So I attended uh, a Catholic school for nine years and all of my teachers were nuns. And I have really, really fond memories of 
Sister E. She was my seventh grade advanced English teacher. And I remember wanting to step away from her class, not because I didn't like her. She was kind. She was firm. She was so knowledgeable in literature. However, I was getting a C in her class. And I knew if I stepped away and I was in, quote unquote, the regular class, I would get an A. And my mom and her had a conversation about it. And I ended up staying in her class. And I'm so glad I did. I ended up having a really, really great year with her. Then I went on to eighth grade and it continued. And unfortunately, she passed away. She was 103. Wow. I saw her about two years before she passed. She was 101 at the time. And we were able to talk about those days. We were able to talk about me almost quitting, quitting her class. And she was so happy that I had gone on to become a teacher and an English teacher at that. And that was so much due in part to her influence in my life. So shout out to Sister E. Awesome. Thank you, Lizette. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. People can find me at compasseducators.com. They can email me at lbias at compasseducators.com. And uh, I'm on social media under that name as well. Great. And we'll have all those links in the show notes as well, listeners. Thank you so much for your time, Lizette. Thank you, Tanya. That's it for another episode of Rebel Educator. Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending your limited time with us learning how to be rebels in education. If you'd like to learn more or access our project library, you can go to rebeleducator.com. If you'd like to learn more about our progressive elementary and middle school in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out upacademy.com. Interested in learning more about our Rebel Literacy Project curriculum or launching your own school and joining our affiliate network? Visit projectup.us. And if you haven't read it yet, pick up your copy of my book, Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms Where Impact and Imagination Meet on Amazon or anywhere you read or listen to your books. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Keep resisting tradition, rebel educators.